Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, February 19, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are on page 23, paragraph 4, the last paragraph. Today's readers are... Janice M., 12 Steps, Lauren S., 12 Traditions, reading from the text, Michelle, Kimmy, and Tinny. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, February 18, 2014, 5935. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who whose shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. Well, thank you, Melanie. Uh, Good morning to all. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of OA. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. 
I will now ask Lauren S. to read the 12 Traditions. Okay. Lauren S., recovered compulsive reader from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is the one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be anonymous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 23, paragraph for the last paragraph to include the first paragraph at the top of page 24. And I will ask Michelle to please begin reading. Good morning, Melanie. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower 
becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And, you know, as this this reading started, the tragic truth that really hit me, how it it is tragic, but the truth, I I needed to know the truth. Um, This this, um, big book is telling me that, that I have lost the power of choice, that <clears throat> I am without defense. I'm without a mental defense against this first drink. No matter how much humiliation, no matter how much suffering, um, you know, no, much, no matter how much pain that I have been in at the point that I say, you know, I'm going to stop no more. Um, today is the day. Um, when, the, when the time comes, when the mental obsession is there, my willpower is never strong enough. It's never stronger than the mental obsession that comes. And that was something I, I didn't know. I didn't know until I started reading um, with a recovered sponsor that that was the fact, that that was the tragic truth for me, that I had reached that point. There were times in my eating career that, you know, I could start and stop, and I had periods of abstinence, and that gave me the, the delusion or illusion that I did have control, that my willpower was still effective. But that day came when, no, there was not even 20 minutes that I could go without finding myself walking and, and being in front of the refrigerator or the pantry door and, and knowing that, you know, that the mental obsession was going to win again no matter what I wanted, no matter how strong my desire was. And as tragic as it is, the truth, um, when it was presented to me, um, was, was almost like a relief to find out that, you know, I, I need a power greater than me. I, my human aid, mine or anyone else's, was never going to be strong enough. And I, I just want to end with, uh, on the bottom of page 43, it reminds me about this mental obsession. And, uh, and I'm to ask myself, you know, to rephrase that, it says the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Do I now believe that? Do I now believe that I have no effective mental defense against the first drink? And that it's ex- except in very rare cases, and I was not one of those rare cases. Um, I have me or anyone else has any, uh, any human being can provide that defense. And that defense must come from a higher power. And, and the higher power comes to me and through that power as I work these 12 steps and, and grateful that that message was carried to me and that that message is being carried again t- today and every day on this line. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Who would like to comment on what was read? Uh, Lauren? <coughs> Hi, Lauren. Go ahead. Hi. This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, Bella. Just right after it, Lauren. Okay. Go ahead, Lauren. Thank you so much. Lauren S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Before I start in this one paragraph, the word tragic, which Bill used twice in the previous paragraph, means involving death, grief, or destruction. So that definitely defined how I lived my life before program. Um, I lived pretty sickly. And the second paragraph we just read reminds me of the the idea of choice. 
it's all about choice, you know. And I would hear people say, you know, food is my drug of choice, or I choose not to eat to eat today, overeat. And um, I think they mean well. I think they mean the same with the, the book is teaching, but but it's very important for me to say I have lost the power of choice, and I have no choice where food is involved. Um, when I was still binging, the food chose me, and I'm grateful today. I don't. Um, I'm neutral, if this makes sense. I'm neutral when it comes to food. So I don't have that chatter in my head to ask me questions of what to do. I, I just, I don't. It's a, it's a piece. And some questions that helped me guide myself through this paragraph was <clears throat> when it says, lost the power of choice, I'd ask myself, have I lost the power of choice in food or did I reach a point where I chose not to eat or was there more involved than choice? And after that, I uh, asked myself, was I unable to bring into my mind the memory of even a week or a month ago? Oh, and this reminds me of another thing that's shared in program, which is remember your last binge. You know, it's harder to to get abstinent than to stay abstinent. Think the last bite through. And I don't know where those people are getting that. I, I don't know if you guys know, but that is not in the book. And for me, just thinking my last binge through, which was awful, it was humiliating, locked in a closet, binging on cheese while my roommate was wondering where I was. I mean, I can't remember those moments when I want to binge. I mean, my mind is sick and my soul is sick whenever I'm in my disease and I can't use my sick mind to help myself. That would be insane for somebody like me. It would be cruel and insane. Uh, and, and, Uh, The last question I like to ask myself is, am I without defense against the next bite? Did I ever choose not to eat, but I did anyways? And um, there it is. Uh, With that, I will pass. Thank you, Lauren. Bella, you're next. Thank you, Melanie. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you very much, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Yes, the tragic truth is so tragic that I can see it now so clear, the power of this disease to destroy everything, to destroy all myself, everybody that belongs to me. And yes, I remember that when I just came the first time to the OA, it came because a doctor told me, oh, Bella, you tried so many things, maybe go to the OA. And I went to the OA to prove him. I was so angry at him. I was so mad at him. I felt like he doesn't understand me, and I wanted to prove him. Yes, I was born heavy, and I will die heavy. I, my first thing, my first reason to come to the OA is to show him, yes, 
I don't believe that one day I will be able to lose weight. And it's so tragic that this was my reason to come to the OA. I No, I didn't see any hope. And I am so thankful, so thankful to God that God really didn't give up on me. And God took me by the hand uh, according to my strength and according to my level of acceptance and just took me by the hand and in a in a very empowering way just gave me the hope. Well, now I see the hope. Then I didn't see the hope. Then I was sure that there is no hope. And I am so thankful, so thankful to God that, yes, God is my higher power, greater than myself, that brought me to the, to the, to the positive truth. Yes, I can do it. It's nothing to do with me. I can do it. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Hi, Kim. this is Kathy in Boston. Hi, Kim. Kathy, Hannah. and then a third one I heard. Hannah? Hannah. So, yes. Great. I have Kim, Kathy, and Hannah. Kim, good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We are unable, unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness the sufficient force, the memory and the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. Sufficient force, that's the delusion. That's the delusion that I chased in OA for many years. The delusion that I could figure out that my willpower, I could get sufficient force to make that decision to not drink. I love the way Lauren said, you know, we talk about, you know, what's your drug of choice? Well, I have to tell you, my drug of choice is alcohol because I drank alcohol through most of my 20s and I had a, made a choice not to drink again. I tried pot in college and then I made the choice not to, to smoke anymore. I don't have the ability to make that choice when it comes to my binge foods. So some of the things I think of that I heard in the rooms that I tortured myself over because, you know, with the best of intentions, people were telling me something, but I couldn't do it, and I felt like such a loser was, just keep it green. Keep it green and you won't eat. It's telling me here, I don't have the ability. I don't have, there's not enough sufficient force. I am under the delusion. So keeping it green, green won't work. But hearing war stories, if I go to enough meetings where people tell me about how bad it is, and if I haven't done that yet, if I remember what, how bad it got for them that I'm not going to pick up, it's telling me here, I can't remember, I can't with sufficient force bring to memory my own suffering. What makes me think that someone else's suffering is going to stop me? I never thought to myself, I'm in line buying binge foods and think, huh, I remember what Melanie said last week in a meeting. I don't think I'm going to eat this. No. I have that mental blank spot. And I've often heard, all I have is my story. All I have is my story. So that's why we tell our stories. We tell these war stories over and over again. Well, let me tell you, I don't just have my story anymore. I have this book. I have clear-cut directions that I can follow. So when the newcomer comes in and we say, well, you just have to keep coming back. Just be willing. If they leave, they're not willing. My God, they're at a meeting. They've crawled their way into Overeaters Anonymous. 
So what can we do for that newcomer? What can we do for that member that comes back the third, the fourth, the fifth time? We need to crack open this book. We need to show them this paragraph and tell them they don't have sufficient force. They don't have a choice in the strength. They are without defense against that first strength. But thank you, God, we have a solution. We have a course of action which will get you in touch with a power greater than yourself that will remove that obsession because in and of yourself, you are going to eat again. Because let me tell you, when I said every morning, every time after lunch, every time after dinner, every time after breakfast, this is the time. This is, this is going to be different. You hooked me up to a lie detector test. I wasn't lying. I believed this time was different. I believed I had a choice. I believed that the fear and the fellowship was going to keep me abstinent. But yet I, this paragraph was my reality. I was without defense against that first trick. I did not have sufficient force to bring into the memory of the suffering of even a week or a month ago. And I just want to end with sharing such gratitude. We have these big book studies that we started, 12-week big book studies in my area. And I've been in tears the last couple of weeks because we started out asking who needed sponsors, and it was in a room of 30, there was like at least 10 or 15 people. We asked this week and no one stood up because people are going out and they're grabbing these people that need this message. And I'm walking out of that room 45 minutes after the meeting is over and there's groups of two and three in three or four different places in this meeting where people have cracked open this book and they're giving the newcomer the message. So telling someone to keep it green, telling someone this is a drug of choice, telling someone the thing to drink through, telling someone that fear in the fellowship will keep you sober. That's a recipe for someone to pick up. But if we can sit down with someone and crack open this book and tell them what this paragraph says and then tell them we have directions of what you can do so you do not need to pick up again because you, the compulsive overeater, is without defense against that first drink. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Kathy Kay, you're next. Thank you, Melanie, for your service and everyone who's on the line. This is Kathy Kay from Boston. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, this paragraph really um, hits home for me. I've shared before that the biggest obstacle to my recognizing my inability to stop was the fact that I never had a lot of weight to lose. Um, My rationalization was so strong uh, as a result. I just thought, um, I I don't have such a big problem. I can stop when I want to. Um, And I'm so grateful that I, you know, I kept coming back because I was in such pain Otherwise, um, with fear and anxiety and a frustration that I could not lose the weight I wanted to lose, I kept coming back and I finally got the message and I finally looked in the mirror and uh, saw the truth. Um, You know, every time I had days where I could stop, and uh, I would think, see, I can do it. Uh, I'm not as uh, powerless as other people are. Um, 
But when I really started to get honest with myself and read the, these pages, um, I had to admit uh, that I had lost the power to stop. And it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy that um, my, I and many other people have to uh, continue to live in the disease for a long time until we see the truth. And that's what's so very, very wonderful about these meetings. It helps us to see the truth and remember the truth. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Hannah, you're next. Hannah, press star one. Yes, I just, yep. Um, good morning. <laughs> this is Hannah. In, I'm a compulsive eater, a recovered compulsive eater in Colorado. I, I, I First, I just want to say it's such a comfort to me to be able to, you know, wake up at 3.30 in the morning and know that at 5 a.m. <laughs> there will be this meeting. <laughs> um, I, I have come to love and treasure that sentence, we're without a defense against the first drink, or in in this case, against the first compulsive bite, or the first compulsive um, behavior, because there are other behaviors I do with food besides eating it, not eating it. Um, I was just in a grocery store yesterday, and I passed by my, you know, the the one of the foods I I used to obsess about the most that I was sure would make me okay, feel safe and comfortable in the world if I just kept eating this, and and I could I you know, and I could feel the physical pull of, oh, that, yes, doesn't that look, but I didn't, I didn't want it, and I walked, and I just walked on by, and, and that, those are, to me, as an abstinent compulsive eater, those are moments of choice, those are moments when I could choose to say, well, you know, I know that I know what this will do to me, and I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> just today, just this once. And and it is always, you know, it is easier, in my experience, it's easier to stay abstinent than it is to get abstinent. And and part of the the gift in the process of following these directions and staying abstinent is that I start to really want to be abstinent and to be free of that obsession. So I'm I'm really, you know, to me, this is building a defense against the first compulsive behavior around food um, at, I don't know, whatever time it is in the morning. <laughs> Thank you. I passed. Thank you, Hannah. Who else would like Larry. to? Yeah. Hi, Larry. You're next. Oh, I'm so Leo. sorry for stepping all over you. I heard Larry and then a couple of other people, maybe Andy and Leah. Is that true? Sandy. And, J- and Janice. Sandy and then Leah and then Janice. Thank you. So let me repeat that back real quick. 
Larry, Sandy, Leah, and Janice. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Melanie. Thanks for your service. Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, if you know, it's kind of like you know, once I once I recognize that I truly did not have defense against the first bite, you know, and once I fully embraced that completely, then I was prepared, you know, um, to, to recognize that there were certain steps, certain things that I had to do in order for this problem to be removed. But the problem hadn't been removed yet. It's kind of like, you know, if you want to, this is, this is one of the issues. If you want to learn how to swim, maybe there's someone on the line that doesn't know how to swim. Maybe I take you and I show you some pictures of people swimming. I'll take you over to a pool. We'll watch other people flopping around in a class. I'll get a textbook on swimming. We'll watch some movies. We'll do everything but, but actually get in there and begin to swim, begin to take action to learn how to swim. You know, pick, pick anything, and, and that's what it is. What it is um, uh, the analogy I would use for this, this program is, you know, we hear slogans, and the slogans can be very damaging. They were for me. You know, 90, 9 billion meetings in 90 days, not, you know, 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, I, I remember I had something, I shared this with someone recently, I had a sign that I, because I, I, someone told me to do it, and I, um, and I taped it up on my bathroom mirror. Don't pick up no matter what, no matter what, don't pick up. Of course I was going to pick up. The problem hadn't been removed. I am a duck. I swim like a duck. I look like a duck. I'm a duck, baby. That's what it is. Or maybe I'm not a duck. And that's what I spent several years trying to prove to you and to myself that I wasn't a duck. And I would hear all these slogans and I would hang around meetings and 9 billion meetings and three phone calls a day. How about 30 a day? Uh, read the book. Boy, I'm a good reader. I'll read it. I'll read it. I'll read it. But never did I work the steps. You know why I didn't work the steps? I didn't work the steps because that was fiction to me. And maybe I didn't really know it, but I know it now. See, it's happened to me. If someone hasn't had, this is my opinion, one man's opinion, if you haven't had a spiritual awakening, you one of two things I know about you, because anybody else that has had a spiritual awakening and calls themselves recovered, they know, they know that they can put the food down and they're happy about it in the midst of calamity and challenge in life. They get the same challenges and calamity you do. They come from, they're cut from the same cloth that you are, but they know it unequivocally. I don't speak with authority because, because I, I had authority before. No, I was terribly undisciplined. What it was was um, that I worked the steps as laid out in the big book. And by working the steps, I had a spiritual awakening that was unscientific in nature. And as a result of that, every single promise, not a few of them, every single promise on page 83 to 84 has come true. Every one of them. And the food is down, and I don't want the food, and I'm happy and content and serene when I got a lot of garbage going on in my life just like you. So what's different between you and me? The difference might be that I had a spiritual awakening by following these steps. And you may be dieting with group support and seeking control. I'm not controlling this thing anymore. It doesn't own me. I'm not a slave to it anymore. 
Why? Because I'm more deserving than you? You know better than that. No, I didn't earn this. I just worked the steps, and the God of my understanding removed, removed, past tense. It's gone. There's no relapse for me, not as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition. No way. If I want to learn how to swim, i got to get in there and swim. That's it, or I'll die. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Sandy, you're next. Hi, thank you, Melanie. This is Sandy, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. What I wanted to share is about that top paragraph where it said the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. What what this says to me is that these people get me because I have promised, I have tried, I have paid people, I have done all the crazy things that people do. I threatened, I did this and that, and and I just couldn't stop. I really, really tried, even, as other people said, identify with trying to stop in the rooms, trying to stop with group support, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Um, And and the other thing that comes to me is that self-knowledge is irrelevant. I knew myself. I I knew myself inside out. I'd been in therapy, you know, forever. Um, I had lots and lots of life experience with eating, with not eating, with um, going to meetings, nine years of going to meetings, you know, three times a week, four times a week, sometimes seven times a week. But self-knowledge was of absolutely no avail. Um, I never had the power of choice about food. My, one of my earliest memories is um, climbing up on the kitchen counter to get to the Rice Krispies so I could put the right, some, some Rice Krispies in my sugar in the bowl. Um, I just never had that power of choice. And, and just that these people get me, italics and everything, these people get me. And so that tells me that um, if they understand my problem, then maybe they can help me with the solution. Thanks very much. I pass. Thank you, Sandy. Leah, you're next. Thanks so much, Melanie. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected, and indeed that's true for me. The The chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt until they were much too hard to be broken, left to any of my own resources. It says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Um, And, of course, it goes on to say we are without defense against the first drink. So this is not talking about once I'm 10 bites in and the phenomenon of craving has uh, wrapped its talons around my neck. Uh, This is talking about I am without defense against the first drink. What is lack of power? You know, I am incapable. I just do not have sufficient force to fight the obsession of the mind. I'm weak. I'm feeble. I'm incapacitated. I'm without strength. I'm crippled. I'm disabled. It reminds me of step one. This is about powerlessness. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. See, my problem is not compulsive overeating. That was my solution. My problem is when I am not compulsively overeating because I am dealing with the most dangerous aspect of my disease at that point. I am thinking about compulsive overeating. 
You see, when I abstain from my binge foods, when I am just merely abstinent and dealing merely with the physical aspect, I feel uncomfortable. I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. I feel deprived. I feel impatient. I'm on edge. I'm, <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable walking around this planet. And those feelings and those thoughts of irritability and discontentment and resentment and fear and restlessness crowd my mind and get so loud that the only way I know to shut them up is to take that first bite. And I am unable at certain times to bring into consciousness with sufficient force, with adequate adequate force at that moment, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago or hours ago. I can't remember the suffering. (laughs) You know, I, I don't know how that happens. I went to bed crying like a baby. My tears were so hot, they almost burned my cheeks as they rolled down my face. And I swore I wasn't going to do that again. I'm not going to eat that way again. I'm not going to binge my brains out like that again. I'm not going to have any more discussions with my husband about divorce and the unraveling of our lives because of this addiction. But what, what happens to me? I can't remember the humiliation. Why don't I respond to humiliation? I can't remember my tears. I can't remember the torture. I can't remember the emotional turmoil. I've stopped thousands of times. Why don't I stay stopped? How is it possible that I forget to remember that kind of pain? What kind of insanity is that? And that's exactly what it is. It is insanity. It is lack of soundness of mind. My mind is defective. It is flawed. I continue to repeat behavior expecting different results. I am not learning from my experiences. I cannot connect the dots. That mental obsession takes possession of me without my consciousness and without my permission. And it is extremely cunning, baffling, and powerful. And that is the problem with the mental obsession. That strange mental twist is that it keeps me from seeing the truth, from seeing things the way they are. And instead of the truth, I believe a lie. And worse than that, I take action on the lie. So the real problem centers in this mind of mine, telling me I can take those first few bites rather than in my body, which ensures that I can't. That is the obsession of mind. That is the greater aspect of my disease. And what my book teaches me is that it's not going to be my inner strength or my willpower or any determination I can muster up or any human aid. It's not going to be the fellowship that's going to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. If I'm going to recover, the power is going to have to come from a source other than just me, other than just You, I need the help of a higher power, a power greater than myself. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Janice M. How can I I go on? This is Janice M. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, right up. Hit the nail on the head. The fact is, what's the fact? The fact is that I have to accept that I am a compulsive overeater and the book tells us about reasons why have to be smashed. All those reasons why has to be smashed. The question is, do I have a choice? Well, 
my powerlessness, I am 100% powerless, not 50%, but 100%. But you see, the, the rooms have taught me for decades that, well, this is the solution. You uh, get a food plan, become abstinent, use the physical tools that we, we are presenting here, and you will be recovered or recovery. But you see, that's wonderful, and it is good. Um, the fellowship, it's terrific. It supports us. But I have more than a physical problem. I have a spiritual problem. And, you know, people say, okay, yeah, I'm all, you know, like my powerlessness will cease when I, you know, have a good food plan and I'm abstinent and everything is okay. Well, that's not true. That's not my experience. Because in abstinence, I still had no choice. I still had no choice. Something in my mind, that second part of my disease told me, oh, you're okay now. You know, everything is okay. Um, see, like, like was said, I, I don't remember that if I can, had two cookies and I thought I could have just two, and then, of course, I had the whole thing, and then I went into oblivion. I don't remember that. I don't remember when the doctor told me, you're on borderline a diabetic, Janice. Nope, didn't remember that. I just remembered, oh, I'd be nice and comfortable after I eat all this, and I'll go to sleep. So, therefore, I don't even have a choice in abstinence because my mind is telling me to pick it up. So, therefore, what choice do I have? I have only one choice. I have a choice to pick up and use this kit of spiritual tools. That's what's going to give me a solution for one day because the fellowship is wonderful. I need it. Otherwise, I'd be out. I don't have to come to this meeting. But it's a, human, it's a human element that cannot fix me, cannot solve my problem for a day, cannot remove the obsession and the thinking that I have when I'm abstinent. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Thank you for everyone that has shared on that paragraph. We're going to move on now to the next paragraph. Kimmy D., can you take that, please? Page 24, second paragraph. Press star one, Kimmy D. Penny C, are you available to take that paragraph? This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater. In Massachusetts, the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Um, this is Penny C., and I'm, I'm happy to be here. This paragraph tells me that, well, it describes me, you know, that, that um, you know, I, I thought every morning, every morning, it wasn't just Monday mornings after a while. It was every, every morning when I woke up, I had that, that idea that, Today I'd be able to handle the food. Today I'd be able to 
either not eat at all or not eat anything that was, you know, I knew I knew what items contained a lot of calories. It was going to be, I was just going to eat low-calorie things all day. And, you know, that would work until 11 o'clock every morning. I don't know why 11 o'clock, but that was that was always, always the time that I would, my, my willpower and my, my determination would just give in. And what I didn't know at that time is that I needed to have a spiritual awakening. I needed a power higher than myself to help me. But it never seemed, even though I was, you know, brought up in a very strict religious family and believed in God, never thought, never thought I needed God or that God would be interested, for that matter, in helping me. I really thought that I could do this on my own until finally it just didn't work anymore and and i was in the the depths of despair and that's how i was when i came to oa and and you know when when people talk about you need to be desperate you know that gift of desperation you know i i thank god for that gift that i had many years ago that brought me that brought me into the rooms and that kept me kept me in the rooms and had me Work my way with with the help of one, two wonderful sponsors through the big book process. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Who would like to comment on what was read? Would anyone like to comment on what was read? Melanie, hi, this is Kimmy. I'm so sorry. My my phone wouldn't uh, let me unmute. Would I be able to share? Oh, please, yes, absolutely. Go and ahead, again, Kimmy. my apologies to everybody for not being able to get back. Um, the part of this paragraph that really sticks out to me is the old threadbare idea. And I had looked up the word threadbare, and it's uh, the definition is overused to the point of being worn out. And uh, yes, that was certainly my idea when it came to compulsive eating, that uh, this time would be different. I will be able to handle myself like other people. And, you know, today in recovery, I realize, A, I can't handle myself like other people, but B, who cares how other people eat? My idea of eating is overused to the point of being, whoops, being worn out. And uh, due to that, I have had a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps me from putting my hand on the hot stove. And I know that that's a whole other concept that's going to be introduced. But um, the point of me feeling like overeating is has being worn out is something that uh, was certainly a big part of my eating this time will be different. And, you know, keep sort of slamming that square peg into that round hole is something that I feel is uh, is being, again, once again, introduced here. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks again. Thank you, Kimmy. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Liz S. This is Bella. Can I share? Liz S. and then Bella. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Liz. Hi, it's Liz S. from New Hampshire. I think one of the uh, things for me was that I I was never really concerned with uh, handling myself like other people. 
But I always was convinced that this time it would be different. Always, I mean, I always felt that it would always be different this time. It was never different. In fact, it was usually worse. And um, remembering the binge from even the day before or a week before uh, never mattered. And um, I know it may be, you know, foolish to say this, but uh, I never heard anyone say that, that that they enjoyed a binge. I've never heard anyone, you know, I say that they enjoyed a binge ever. And um, I never did either. Uh, I mean, after, you know, the day after, um, because it's not an enjoyable experience. It's enjoyable for 30 minutes, and then it's uh, it is tragic. And it's always been tragic for me. And what I realize now as I go through the go through the steps and I'm going through the process of recovery is that I don't ever want to go back. Um, you know, food plan with group support did not work because I was always compulsively thinking about my food, even while I was on a food plan in OA. And my binges were horrific. Uh, they were 10 to 15,000 calories at a time. Um, and they were nightmares, and I didn't care. I didn't care when I picked up that food, and yet I certainly did care in the middle of the night when I woke up and realized what I had done, or I woke up the next morning. So um, I had no memory whatsoever, uh, and no one's stories mattered to me. You know, what I heard in meetings didn't matter to me. When I wanted to pick up, I picked up. And um, nothing else mattered. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Liz. Bella, you're next. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Like other people, such a strong sentence. Like other people, people is in plural, not in single. Yes, I didn't want to be like one specific person that I I admire him or I am looking up to him. No, I wanted to be like other people. I wanted to be exactly like ABC and XYZ. Now, no, it didn't work out. So I wanted to put to compare myself like one person. It didn't work out, so I said, oh, okay, so in this time, in this case, it, does, it doesn't work. I will be, for sure, no question, I will be like somebody else. And again, it didn't work. So I tried another person, and it didn't work. So my black, my black and white thinking told me, okay, you see, Bella, you cannot be like other people. So, you see, you are not acting normal like other normal people. So, what can I do? So, I went to the black and white thinking. So, I am not normal. I cannot be like, like other people. You know, I am very strange. So, I cannot be with people. So, be alone and lonely and isolated and I couldn't see a middle way. I couldn't see that there is other ways, other kind of behaviors. And it's, 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 it's very sad. It's very sad and it's, it's very tragic. And I am so thankful, 
so thankful to God that he just gave me the power to, to be willing to look for a solution. And now, thank God, thank God, I believe that there is a solution. Yes, I cannot be like other people in regarding food, but it's nothing to do with me. This is my disease. And yes, I cannot be like other people, but I can be like myself. And I like myself, and I love myself, and I respect myself. And it's okay. I know that certain foods and certain kind of food I cannot eat, and it's okay. I still can be with other people, and it's okay. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to share on what we read? I think we have room for probably two short shares or one three-minute share. This is Sharon in Colorado. I hear Sharon and then Jim. Can we share two short ones? Okay, thank you, Melanie. This is Go ahead. Oh, thank you. This is Sharon in Colorado. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for your service and welcome to everyone out on the line. There, there's just two things that are jumping off the page at me, so I just thought I should share. And one is the last uh, sentence in the paragraph above. We are without defense against the first drink. And then we come down to the last sentence here. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And those were the lies that I believed for years that, um, <clears throat> you know, that I was com- with without defense about picking up that first bite of food that my body could not tolerate. And then, you know, I, no matter how how long ago or just a few minutes ago I had picked up that first bite, I didn't experience that belief that, you know, it was like uh, putting my hand on a hot stove. But I'm just so grateful today to know as a result of listening to this program and doing the steps, I am recovered. And now those two sentences are the absolute truth for me. And I live my life accordingly, um, like it's laid out in this book. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you, Sharon. Kim, you're next in our last share. Thank you. Thanks, Melanie. I'll be quick. This, uh, this threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. You know, I have to say, normal eaters are fascinating. They actually fascinate me. You know, I go to a Costco and they have these you know, samples, and people just have samples and they go on with their shopping. I mean, I don't understand it. So I just want to give an idea of what a normal eater is. I have a friend, Melissa, who's a normal eater, and we'll meet, a bunch of us will meet out for dinner, and she'll, you know, be a couple minutes late, and she'll mention she's starving, and she'll suddenly realize she never had lunch. I mean, I can't imagine forgetting that I had lunch. And then she'll order an appetizer because she wants to share it with the rest of the table. I never shared my food. And then she'll order an entree. And by the time the waiter brings the entree to her, she's like, you know what? I thought I was in the mood for this, but I'm really not. So she puts half of it to the side. And then she always has to have dessert. And she always has to have chocolate. And one of two things happens with Melissa. One, she takes a couple bites and is like, oh, this is too rich. I can't have any more. Or the other one is she'll have a few bites and go, oh, my God, that was so good. And then she'll go on with the rest of the conversation because that satisfied her. She was done. So this old threadbare idea that I can eat like other people 
that's just a delusion. I don't want to eat like other people. I want to eat like I want to eat, and I want to look like my friend Melissa. So that was one of the delusions that had to be smashed with me. I don't want to be a normal eater. I want to participate in my disease to the absolute fullest, and I just don't want the consequences. And that was very key for me to understand because that delusion had to be smashed. I didn't want to be like other people, and I was incapable of being a normal eater. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kimmy. No, I'm so sorry. Thank you, Kim, (laughs) for reading that for us. And now it is time for us to close our meeting. Thank you to everyone who shared today. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll follow that with a serenity prayer. Kimmy D., are you available to read a vision for you on page 164? If not, Kimmy, can Michelle please read page 164, the closing? Yes. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.